0: Hi, Madeline. I'm using different headphones, so hopefully it sounds better, but it sounds really weird to me, but I don't know. Anyways, starting. If Pike Place Market really is haunted, the ghost would be out right now. I feel a little ghoulish myself as I sun through downtown, past the commercial district and along the waterfront. It's colder out here, windier. I hug Neil's hoodie tighter around me, wishing it belonged to anyone but him. It's annoying that it still smells good. Curse you, good-smelling hoodie I can't take off without freezing. My feet ache from all the walking. I parked at the market, which was empty, the shops long closed, but then I needed to clear my head and figure out what the hell happened and what the hell I'm supposed to do now. I must be obsessed with Neil McNair because even with him gone, he's all I can think about. The worst part of it is this, he wasn't wrong. That success guide is four years old. Just because I'm not 100% who I wanted to be at that age doesn't mean I'm not successful. Deep down, maybe I've known that all day, but the guide was such a comfort to me. The idea that I still had a chance to cross something off. Nothing about today, about tonight, when is planned, and until our fight, it was okay. Great even. I've clung to my fantasies and convinced myself the reality can't measure up. I allow myself to think something I never have before. What if the reality is better? I just don't know how to fix this about myself. This flaw, Neil called it. If I manage to finish Howell by myself, then we're done competing forever. He goes off to New York, and I go off to Boston, and if we see each other in Seattle when we're home on breaks, maybe we'll have a moment of sustained eye contact, a nod, and then a quick glance in the opposite direction. If something happened between us, he would be just another thing that ends after high school. Our schools are more than four hours away from each other. I looked it up earlier. I want to tell Kirby and Mara, but I don't know if I can put what happened into words yet. And despite everything else, I'm glad I got on stage and run my writing. Another thing Neil McNair is inexorably tied to. Fuck it. I whip out my phone and hit the familiar icon on the home screen. Rowan? My mom picks up after the third ring. They always celebrate deadlines the same way, getting incredibly wasted. They keep a bottle of 12-year-old scotch in their office for these occasions. It's late. Is everything okay? We just open the scotch. I'm writing a book, I blurt out. At this very moment? No, I mean, I've been working on it for a while. I chew the inside of my cheek, waiting for her reaction. There's some shuffling in the background, and I can tell she's put me on speaker. It's a romance novel. Silence on the under- Oh my gosh, sorry. Silence on the other end of the line. And I know they're not your favorite, but I really love them, okay? They're fun, and they're emotional, and they have better character development than most other books out there. Roro, my dad says, You're writing a book? I nod before realizing they can't see me. Ugh, talking is hard. I am. I might want to do that. Professionally. Or at least I'd like to try. That's incredible, my mom says. You have no idea how cool it is to hear that. Yeah? She laughs. Yes, the fact that having us as parents hasn't ruined the writing magic for you. That's kind of awesome if you think about it. And maybe it is. It's a romance novel, I say again, in case they didn't hear me the first time. We heard you, my dad says. Rowan, that's a pause, and some exchanged murmurs between them. I'm sorry if we ever gave you the impression we thought it was a lesser genre. Maybe it was because you started reading them so young, and we thought it was this cute, funny phase you were going through. It wasn't. We know that now, my dad says. I love what you do, and I love those books, I say. And I know I have a lot to learn, but that's what college is for, right? Predictably, my dad laughs at this non-joke. Full disclosure, my mom says. We're both a little tipsy. But we're so glad you told us. If you ever want either of us to read it, we're more than happy to. Thank you. I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but I'll let you know. Are you doing all right? You won't be out too late, will you? We'll probably be asleep by the time she gets home, my dad says, if the Scotch does his job. My mom lets out a low whistle. See, I'd whistle here, but I can't. So. This is almost as bad as what happened after that D.B. Cooper book. I think that was whiskey, though. The what? I ask. Riley tried to solve the D.B. Cooper case in one of the excavated books, my mom says. Do you remember? We were so upset when our editor didn't want to publish it. She didn't think it was kid friendly. D.B. Cooper? That was a Seattle thing, right? You don't know the story? And when I tell her no, she explains it to me. This is the legend of D.B. Cooper In 1971, a man hijacked a Boeing plane somewhere in the air between Portland and Seattle. He asked for $200,000 in ransom and parachuted out of the plane. But was never found even after an fbi manhunt it's the only unsolved case of its kind i'd read the book in manuscript form but must have forgotten about it when they had to shelf it and neil wouldn't have known about it either we even worked with the staff at the museum of the mysteries my mom says that creepy old building downtown it's just as creepy on the inside my dad says and weird too it's half museum half bar so they keep it open late suddenly everything clicks into place god i love my parents Rowan, my mom says, with enough urgency that makes me think I must have zoned out. Rowan, Louisa, when do you think you'll be home? I probably won't be too much longer. Have fun, my mom says, and they start giggling again as we hang up. I'm so sorry if you just heard Bailey. The Museum of the Mysteries. If I still cared about Howl, I'll get this view clue and then go there. Good to know, I guess. I blow out a breath. They know, and Kirby and Mara know, and when I start classes in the fall, this could be what I tell my new friends, too. I'm writing a romance novel the great wheel glimmers against the night sky i've never actually been on this ferris wheel the name is no joke when it was built it was the tallest ferris wheel on the west coast and the idea of being so high up scared me but tonight its lights draw me closer and i wonder why i was ever afraid of it last ride of the night the guy at the ticket booth says after i hand over my five dollars you're just in time a minute later my feet are off the ground the air is cool against my face and down below the water is black and serene a couple cars above me, two teens are laughing and taking selfies. A couple cars below me, a father is trying to calm a too-ratty child. Don't you dare rock this seat, Liam, he says. Liam? Liam! I'm on a Ferris wheel at midnight. It would be extremely romantic if I weren't alone. This whole day, I felt on the edge of so many things. In high school, I know how to, I knew how to do everything and how it should all make me feel. There's a comfort in challenging Neil because there are only ever two outcomes. He wins or I win. A routine. A security blanket. I lived here my whole life, but I'd never been on the great wheel. I'd never almost broken into a library. i never experienced Seattle the way I did tonight, but it's not, it's not just the setting. Bit by bit, today forced me out of my comfort zone. The end of the game means the end of high school. And while there's plenty I romanticize, there's so much I'll miss. Kirby and Mara. My classes. My teachers. Neil. Oh my God! Someone says, "Breaking my concentration." A woman's voice. Oh my God! The voices are coming from the other side of the wheel. It's not a scared-sounding. Oh my God! It's a good. T- it's a good kind. She said yes. Another woman's voice. Everyone on the wheel breaks into cheers as the couple embraces. If that's not romance novel-worthy, I don't know what is. I want to leap fearlessly okay. into whatever is next for me. I really do, and it's not like I have a choice. I'm not going to sit on top of this Ferris wheel for the rest of my life. I mean, the guy said I'm the last ride of the night, so quite literally, it's not an option. I'm just terrified of falling, of failing, of not being able to catch myself. My car stops at the top. It's so fucking beautiful, my lit-up city, that I'm going to be a tourist and take a picture. I unzip my backpack and reach for my phone, my fingers grazing a familiar hardcover. My yearbook. Slowly, I pull it out of my backpack, hands trembling as I turn to the back pages. He didn't want me to read it until tomorrow, but fuck it, it's tomorrow and I am desperate to know what it says. I have to flip around to find it. Two pages in the back were stuck together, and that's how he managed to find some space. There's my nickname, in calligraphy, and woof, it's long. My eyes dart around at first, trying to sh- struggling to focus on any single word. What I'm hoping is for some reassurance that I haven't fucked things up beyond repair, though of course he wrote this before our fight. Still, it feels like a life preserver. So I inhale the cold night air, and then I start reading. R2, I'm switching back to regular handwriting. Calligraphy is hard and I didn't bring my good pens. Or I need more practice. Right now you're sitting across from me, probably writing hags 30 times in a row. I know a little bit of a lot of languages, but even so I struggle to put this into words. Okay, I'm just going to do it. First of all, I need you to know I'm not putting this out there with any hope of reciprocation. This is something I have to get off my chest cliche sorry before we go our separate ways cliche it's the last day of school and therefore my last chance crush is too weak a word to describe how i feel it doesn't do you justice but maybe it works for me i am the one who is crushed i'm crushed that we have only ever regarded each other as enemies i'm crushed when the day ends and i haven't said anything to you that isn't cloaked in five layers of sarcasm i'm crushed concluding this year Without having known that you like melancholy music or eat cream cheese straight from the tub in the middle of the night Or play with your bangs when you're nervous as though you're worried they look bad. They never do. You're ambitious, clever, interesting, and beautiful. I put beautiful last because for some reason I have a feeling you'd roll your eyes if I wrote it first. But you are. You're beautiful and adorable and so fucking charming. And you have this energy that radiates off you, a shimmering optimism I wish I could borrow for myself sometimes. You're looking at me like you can't believe I'm not done yet, so let me wrap this up before I turn it into a five paragraph essay, but if it were an essay, here's a thesis statement. I am in love with you, Rowan Roth. Please don't make too much fun of me at graduation. Yours, Neil P. McNair. At first the words don't seek in. It doesn't make sense. This has to be some elaborate joke, one final twisted way for Neil to win by making a fool of me. So I read it again, lingering on the fourth paragraph and the sixth paragraph and the way my nickname looks in his handwriting. And then the seventh paragraph, the single sentence confession. I am in love with you, Rowan Roth. There is too much care and sincerity in those words for it to be a joke. My pulse is roaring in my ears, my heart a wild animal. Neil McNair is in love with me. Neil McNair is in love with me. I'm not sure how many times I read it. Each time different words jump out at me, crush and beautiful and in love and love and love. Something catches in my throat, a laugh, a sob. Validictorian Neil McNeil wrote fuck in my yearbook. I read it again, I can't stop. Shimmering optimism, not head in the cloudsism. He likes that about me, enough to tell me when I'm so extreme about it that I'm standing in my own way. Except it would have been a mistake, he said, when I asked about what happened on the bench. He was bluffing. He had to be. This note is so heartfelt, he couldn't have switched off those feelings in a matter of hours. I may not know much about love that I haven't read in a book, but I'm sure it lingers longer than that. A simmer, not a spark. This message is sweeter than any romance novel. It's real. Neil loves me. Earlier today, I couldn't picture him kissing anyone. Is it because I can only picture this happening with me? That Rowan plus Neil is this inevitability everyone has known except us? Kirby and Mara, Chantal Okafor and student council, Logan Perez who led us into the safe zone, my parents? Do I love Neil McNair? Even if if I'm not entirely certain, the reality is that I really think I could. I have to get off this fucking Ferris wheel. Life is funny, though, the most romantic moment of my life, and I'm at the top of a Ferris wheel with a yearbook instead of the boy who wrote in it that he's in love with me. The Museum of Mysteries, located in a downtown Seattle basement. is Seattle's only museum dedicated to the paranormal. I'm not sure why they need to explain it or why the city would ever need more than one museum dedicated to the paranormal, but there it is on the sign on the front. Can we talk? I texted Neil once the Ferris wheel touched down. I feel really awful about what happened, and I think I figured out the last clue. No one's won Howell yet, or we'd have received a message blast. I'm determined to make things up to him. He replied, okay, without any punctuation, very un-Neal-like. He was clearly upset if he wouldn't spell out the word, but maybe it's proof he still feels the way he did when he wrote in my yearbook that he agreed to meet back up. Or he wants to win this game and be done with the, with tonight. He's waiting on a brick street with the rickety staircase that leads to the museum. His hair is mussed. his posture slightly hunched. Why did I ever tease him about those freckles? I love them. I love every single one of them. I love his freckles and his red hair and the two short legs of his pantsuit and the two long sleeves, the way he laughs, the way he pushes up his glasses to rub his eyes. I am in love with you, Rowan Roth. He lifts, one hat, he lifts one hand in a wave and I melt. I am in so much trouble. Hi, I say in a small voice, hey, eerie that it's, I say at the same time, he says, should we, what was that, he asks, oh, um, I was going to say it's eerie that it's open so late. It is Seattle's only museum dedicated entirely to the paranormal, he says, pointing to the sign. He's not quite as stiff as I thought he'd be. We both reach for the door at the same time, our hands brushing. Then we yank them away like we've touched fire. The woman working here is reading a book behind the counter. She has white blonde hair, down to her hips, and large purple glasses. Evening, she says, barely glancing at us. We pay the cheap entry fee, thank her, and venture farther into the museum. A strange soundtrack is playing, a classical piece punctuated by screams. It feels like we're in a haunted house. We keep bumping into each other like our feet have forgotten how to walk. I, um, got the view from a pie clue, I say. Me too but he doesn't ask where I went, so I don't either. We pause in front of a display about the Moray Island UFO incident. I read off the plaque. The Moray Island UFO incident occurred in June 1947. Following sightings of identified flying objects over Moray Island and Puget Sound, Fred Christman and Harold Dahl claimed to witness falling debris and threats by men in black. Dahl later took back his claims and stated it was a hoax. But was it? I tap my chin. A little bit of editorializing, I think. He just grunts. None of our silences could have been this awkward. You could take your sister here, I suggest. Trying to lighten the mood. He shrugs. She might get scared. She's not really into creepy stuff, especially over the whole Blorgen 7 thing. Oh, right. I round a corner and point to a sign that says, The D.B. Cooper Room. He's got an entire room to himself. Lucky guy. One wall lists all the facts known about him ordered a bourbon and a soda, mid-40s, dark brown eyes, wore a mother-of-pearl tie pin and a black necktie, receding hairline, had some level of aviation knowledge. The FBI retired his case in 2016, but clearly Pacific Northwesterners are still fascinated by it, as demonstrated by this exhibit. He's gotta be dead, Neil says. There's no way he survived that jump. I don't know. It's cool to imagine that he's still out there somewhere. He'd be ancient at this point, but he could have had kids. Maybe he got away with it and outsmarted all of us. We paused in front of a wax bust of his head. Kind of a hottie, I say, trying to lighten the mood again. Middle-aged and balding is your type? No, freckled redheads who alter their own suits are my type. Oh yeah, I say, and it feels for a split second like we're back to normal. But then Neil walks around the room, snaps a photo. I guess that's it, he says. We're done. We can go to the gym and divide up the prize and go our separate ways like you wanted. You don't have to give me your share as some kind of pity money. And if that isn't a gut punch. He turns to go, but I reach for his arm. Neil, wait, I can't row in. He shuts his eyes and shakes his head as though wishing he could pull a DB Cooper and disappear. This was a ridiculous idea. The two of us teaming up. If we tried to destroy each other for four years, why would we suddenly get along tonight? I bite down hard on the inside of my cheek. I'm sorry for what I said about your dad. I didn't mean it. You shared so much personal stuff with me today, and I should have treated that with more respect. You should have. I agree. I take a step back, trying to give him space. I want to be friends. He snorts. Why the hell would you want that? You made it pretty clear earlier that's not what we are. You're right, I did. I take a deep breath. Look, you've been a huge pain in my ass for the past four years but you're also all these things I didn't know until today. You're an excellent dancer. You love children's books. You care about your family. And you're Jewish, and well, it's nice to know another one. You will meet plenty of other Jewish kids in Boston. You're making it really hard for me to compliment you. He gives me a sheepish smile. And at that, I finally feel myself relax. We can be okay. We have to be. I'm sorry about what I said, too, he says, about you sabotaging yourself. That was completely out of line. You were incredible at that open mic, and and I should have given you more credit for that. You are entirely wrong though. I lean against the railing a couple of feet from him, testing our boundaries. I'm a bit of a dreamer, and I stand in my own way. Sometimes it feels like competing with you is the only thing that's grounded me. I pause. Then I called my parents. I told them about my book. His eyes light up. It's a crime that I've never noticed how lovely they are. And how did it feel? Terrifying. Fantastic, I say. But I'm not done apologizing yet. I haven't been fully honest with him tonight. Every time I said something wrong, I was trying to stick to a plan that no longer feels like mine. I wonder how it would feel to let go of that completely. Neil, I keep saying these horrible things to you. These things I don't mean. Not just what I said about your dad either, like when you asked me to sign your yearbook. It's like my natural instinct is to fight with you, and I'm trying really hard to override it, but I've messed up a few times, and I'm so sorry. He's quiet for a moment. My instinct is to brush it off and tell you it's fine, but thank you for saying that. What I said in the library when we were dancing, when I exhale, it's shaky. The way he spilled his heart on my yearbook page, he might be braver than I've ever been. He makes me want to try harder. I wasn't imagining anyone else. This strikes a smile out of him. Yeah, he says, and I nod. I really did have fun with you today. Slowly, I inch closer to him, washing his face carefully. His brows twitch, and if I didn't know any better, I'd say he swaying slightly in my direction. One and a half more steps, and we'd be chest to chest, hip to hip. Was that so hard to admit? He asks, his smile deepening into a smirk. I am in love with you, Roan Roth. I fist a hand in my hair and let us and let out a strangled, frustrated sound. God, you are so infuriating. That doesn't come out cruel, though. Teasing, maybe, but not cruel. But you like it. It's possibly the boldest thing he's said all day, and when he takes a step forward, I can feel the heat radiating off him. Radiating off him. No wonder he was fine parting with his hoodie. The boy is a human sauna. You like being infuriated by me. I do. I like it so much. My breath hitches. He must be able to hear it because one side of his mouth slants up and he runs his hand along the railing until it almost but not quite touches mine. There's so little space between our bodies now. His scent is earthy and heady, making me ache for something I didn't know I wanted. The fantasy that my perfect high school boyfriend would be the epitome of romance. The reality. Neil McNair has been here all along. Passive voice, I challenge, sounding much huskier than I'm used to hearing. Westview taught you better than that. It doesn't make him laugh the way I hoped. Instead, he gives me this look that's half to, half amused and half serious, one that turns to me electric. His gaze is steady, and I have a view of how the gorgeous angles of his throat. And I have a view of the gorgeous angles of his throat as he swallows hard. No, he says, so close to me that I can almost hear his heartbeat in time with mine. You did, and that's what pushes me over the edge. Before I can overthink it, before I spend forever dreaming up the perfect moment, I lunge forward, pinning him against the railing and covering his mouth with mine. Woo! Slay! Okay, hope you enjoyed.